Hello, welcome to Podcast Praxis. I'm David, and I am joined tonight by James. Hello. And Ben. Hello. Seb. Hey, uh. And Jamie. All right. So, we didn't record anything last week, and having a long thought about the podcast and what we're really doing with it, and I thought, we, we need to make things a little, a little bit edgier. We need to kind of move into that space. So what I'm going to do is to open the episode, I'm going to start off and I'm just going to say a slur, right? All right, cool. Sounds good. <laughs> no, the forbidden sound. <laughs> yeah. Keith's a slur now, so make sure that we don't use it. No, fuck that. Do use it. Um, the, the, Twitter's been awash with amazing takes on the, the Keith meme, including it's racist and it's classist. So, yeah, keep it up, lads. Personally, I love to be racist against the English, so... Probably only a week or two away from Keith is an anti-Semitic slur at this point, I think. Mm, yeah, but hey-ho. Well, I did hear something about, like, the the last tribe of Israel, the the, the last one that was forgotten and, you know you know, wandered off and got lost in the desert, ended up becoming the Scots. Like, I'm pretty sure I heard some Scottish nationalist lunatics talking about that. So, I that's mean, given that, given that Kier is in fact, you know, from Gaelic, that there could be some, there, there could be some contrived circumstance under which that is true. You know what, that's not even the wildest lost tribe of Israel theory I've heard this week. <laughs> <laughs> this week. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, look forward to that. Um, probably around the time of release, so that's actually quite good. We're ahead of the curve on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're talking about Keith, um, will we will we just cover the label shit and get that out of the road? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was a big vote on... the. I say a big vote. No, no votes are big anymore. Um, about the COVID tier system, which is renewed every so many weeks. And Starner decided that Labour would um, abstain on it. Is this the third tier system we've had? I think so. I don't we know. Started out, we started out with the Nando scale. Yeah, that was, that was definitely like the first kind of... Because mm-hmm. that was coming out when we were exiting the first lockdown. And then... I can't remember if that's before or after the... Was it what, 1 to 5? And then we were at like 3.5 because that's a <laughs> like, good way to use the scale. I'm finding this all very confusing. Could we just, like, could we rank the different tier systems we've had? You know, determine which was which tier was best at dealing with coronavirus, which was like yeah. top tier, which was like mid tier, like maybe a Fox Falco kind of thing. Like, it would be quite useful to know. I'm going to give the second tier system an A. And okay. yeah then we're probably at um, back to 3.5 for this last one. Okay, um, makes sense. And, um, and then, and then say one star for the last yeah, one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sure, okay. Yeah, it, oh. that's clear. Like, uh, yeah, 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 sort that out, yeah. Yeah, good. So clearly, clearly uh, we need to go back. Mm, yeah, no, it's, it's what the people want. Reject modernity, <laughs> embrace corona. Wait, no, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, so um, that's that was all the shit. Um, he abstained as per. There was a few Labour MPs that did rebel against the whip to abstain. They were the usual ones you would expect, Zara Sultana. Um, not Jeremy Corbyn though, um, because he's not a Labour <gasps> MP still at this point. Um, he did vote against it, but he's still not had the whip restored. 
I'm yeah. pretty sure he was never a Labour MP, according to some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. The, the uh, well, I'm also party. sure we've, we've always been at war with Eurasia. Am I getting mm. that right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. I'm, I'm so tired of Jeremy Corbyn discourse. <laughs> I'm just exhausted. I wish, honestly, I wish him nothing but the best. And, like, I just really... On the one hand, I don't want him to retire because he is an actual good MP. But on the other hand, just like, just, 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 just enjoy retirement, man. You, you've done enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He deserves a holiday. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, just generally, like, it, it would be good to have other things to talk about, even in a just in a parliamentary sense. Yeah, well, but, um, buckle the yeah. fuck up because everyone's calling him Jeremy Crobin on fucking Twitter today to try and own the left. <laughs> <laughs> They, they don't really understand how posting works. Yeah, give it a week and they'll start talking about the stop Brexit button as well as if it's some kind of own. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tragic. Um, Corbyn is actually an anti-Semitic slur. Is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're so close to the like the centrist and the right wing reinventing corn cobbing, but something to do with corbinning. And, and it's just going to be insane. Oh, no, that's, that, that's fucking advanced nuclear physics to, compared to what they're actually doing. Man. <laughs> we're, we're, still, we're probably still decades away from that technology reaching the mainstream. <laughs> the other thing is the Brexit deal. Um, has this vote actually happened? I can't remember if this vote's happened or not. No, like they're, they're still negotiating today. Oh, I know, I know the, the deal's actually been negotiated. I thought they'd just kind of voted on a principle of it or were going to, but if they haven't voted, then whatever, because it doesn't really matter whether or not the votes happen, because Starmer has also said that Labour will vote for whatever the deal is. I do love to just give unconditional support to legislation that doesn't even exist yet. I, just, yes. I love it. It's, it's like, you know, to govern is to choose, as we are repeatedly <laughs> reminded. And Starmer has quite efficiently decided to choose in advance for everything. And thereby, like, you know, he's the most effective governor, you know? Yeah, but the mm. Red Wall, mate. Yeah, well, Red Wall. Red Wall. Got to, got to get our Red Wall back, definitely. As, as much as I'm loathe to defend Heath... Okay, I, I would say <laughs> just it's dead probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do think that you know, if there is a Brexit, they should probably vote for it because no deal Brexit is, as we've been saying since about twenty sixteen, is just a catastrophe. But I have every confidence in Boris Johnson that he'll manage to put forward a Brexit deal that is somehow worse than no deal. So we'll see. <laughs> I I don't think it really matters what Labour does in a practical sense because oh, no, definitely doesn't. there's an 80 seat majority in the Tories so it doesn't make a functional difference unless they have a massive rebellion yeah, they're like really irritated, like super unnegotiable with group, like the, the group that rebelled over the last tiers is still only up to 50, then yeah, like it's, it's very much a um a Tory thing to pass and probably would still pass. But yeah. for some reason, Labour needs to get in on it, you know, sort of like six months from now, 
various things on fire and we've run out of toilet paper again um it's just like yes this is what the people wanted and we were there to support it so i am i'm genuinely i'm genuinely curious to see what kind of deal boris is able to bring back because he's got to have the screws being put to him about now because america which was going to be his ally in this is now firmly sided with ireland which is hysterically funny and uh they've, they've got to have his arm twisted up his back so i really want to see what dirt gets done um because there's no way the european union are going to be kind and gentle on this one so yeah what what can he possibly bring back um and just how does it shaft like the conservative hard right pro brexit lot and like i am i am genuinely curious to see what they produce i'll be very disappointed if it's like boring or it doesn't piss anyone off it's just like you know if they come back with effectively a continuation of the status quo somehow i think that'd probably be the most boring option so we'll see it just mm. come back with no deal brexit but we get blue passports we reinstate rationing and the <laughs> germans like drop bombs on london <laughs> see what you're missing for that idea though jamie is that it wouldn't we wouldn't want german bombs to be fallen on london so they would actually be made in the uk and sold to the germans to then be dropped on london <laughs> and probably on some sort of subscription service as well <laughs> bomber yeah no i think you want them to be british bombs so they don't work <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's the your, your darling of Fub P Twitter just going ahead and voting for Brexit, regardless of what the Brexit is. So, cool. Good job again, Keith. It does really kind of show just their, their goal, that, you know, the right's goal was taking power again to have power, and then they've just completely lost direction and fallen apart. We're currently at the question mark, question mark, question mark stage where the next one is profit, but we haven't quite figured out what the three question marks mean. No, I disagree, David. They're very firmly profiting right now. They've got all their cushy jobs lined up. Are you kidding? The people that slew the dragon Corbin, they're definitely going into, you know, very, very cushy kind of work when all of this is done. And you just need to look at Cuptig and all the rest of it to see how clearly they've been rewarded for playing their part. So no, they're, they're profiting. They're profiting. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see just uh, which change UKers eventually kind of slink back in, though, just to see exactly <laughs> who. Oh could, uh... yeah, well that was that was announced that um, they're going to look at the the rule for people who left the Labour Party over anti-Semitism um, and allow them to rejoin the party rather than having to wait the five years or something like that. I think you need to wait after you leave the party. So Mike Gapes' jokes might be fresh again much sooner than we were hoping. No, yes. like Mike Gapes, you've you got it wrong. He is real Labour. He mm. is true Labour. <laughs> so they're going to have to join him. That's how it works. Uh. Something outside of Labour now. Um, Elon Musk. Oh, do we have to? We, we just we'll touch on it a little bit. But he's now the second richest motherfucker in the world. I love how Elon Musk is like the perfect, it, it's the story of capitalism, right? You get rich off of sapphire mines in South Africa, profiting off all of that shit. Sorry, I and think you'll find it was Chaos Emerald Mines in South Africa. <laughs> Apologies, <laughs> please correct this in the edit. <laughs> um, and then you make ugly cars for people who worship them for no apparent reason and uh, that's it you're done capitalism no, you, you're missing out a few steps there first off is 
Yeah, I mean, for one thing, he turned himself into a pickle and it was the funniest shit anyone had ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) So you inherit the Emerald Mine, which is built entirely on the subjugation of an entire swathe of people. Then you go through about six separate businesses, however fucking many it is that he's been high up in and sell them off when they look like they might be profitable and, you know, get out before it fucking falls apart. Except for the one time that he did you that, it was actually PayPal successful. Money. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you then you got into the building cars, but but you need to make sure that the cars set the occupants on fire. You need to bust a few unions, and then you get to launch the flaming cars into space. Don't forget! Don't forget the ignoring um, health and safety regulations at your factories. And yes, don't forget yes. getting massive backing from the Department of Defense for being able to do an end run around NASA. Mm-hmm. Yep. You have to accuse other people of being pedos. Yes. <laughs> can't believe he walked away from that, really. Uh, it's just... It's like the the closest time for like anything happening to him and just off this ridiculous Twitter fight. That, that was very 2019. <laughs> that that did let him off lightly. Like that dude had the opportunity to take him for a serious fucking paycheck, and he just didn't. And uh, like, ugh, I mean, the the dude was really chill. Like, you know, he's living doing his scuba school. Obviously, he has his best life anyway, so he clearly didn't care. But just for the sheer Schadenfreude, he should have really went for the throat on that one. I'd have loved to have seen Elon Musk having to cut a fat check for calling a guy a pedo. <laughs> yeah. I love my favorite thing about Elon Musk is his Twitter because I genuinely, you know, sometimes you see like, I don't know, Charlie Kirk or whatever, it's like fake tweets mm-hmm. um, about how he can't make his wife orgasm or whatever. Um, oh no, that's the other <laughs> guy, it's Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, ben Shapiro. Yeah. But, but my ben point Shapiro is that, with the driest wife in the world. <laughs> my point is that you know those are fake, but if you see a fake Elon Musk, quit, uh, fake Elon Musk tweet, you're like, hmm. The, like, um, I have to. I have to log in. I have to interject here, but the uh, the Ben Shapiro's dry wife thing was very real. Oh, I mean, yes, but there were various uh, spin-offs, Shall we call them? Ben Shapiro's dry wife is real and strong, and she's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Elon Musk is that, like, people people are oblivious. They think, oh yeah, no, cool car guy, and it's like, no, oh, hang on a minute here. Elon Musk has become the second richest man in the world in the same way as Jeff Bezos has become the richest, which is by basically attaching himself to the United States military complex. Um, Jeff Bezos has done it through basically doing all the CIA and intelligence agencies and, you know, militaries, cloud-based computing distributions. Like, he is wired into that shit and gets massive paychecks for it. And Elon Musk has basically done the same thing through militarization of space. And uh, people are just completely oblivious to it. Like, oh, yeah, no, he's putting low-cost satellites in space. Uh, You know, he's selling services to NASA. And it's like, no, no, no. They're basically privatizing stuff that NASA is prohibited from doing. And they're going to use it for military applications. I say going to. They probably have already. But it's not like they'd tell us, would they? See, what we haven't really considered here is that Elon Musk is going to do one of two things eventually. He's either going to collapse the world economy by towing some stupidly valuable asteroid um, full of fucking fuel source that we can use somehow and that's how it's sorted and everything 
world governments and the economy just can't cope with it and it all falls apart. Or he's going to save the galaxy by implementing Kessler Syndrome by fucking clogging up with too many satellites and keeping us locked on this godforsaken planet. <laughs> yeah. He's here to save the galaxy in the most irritating way possible. <laughs> if he tried to tow an asteroid back to Earth, it would probably end up with an extinction-level event. Like, Well, there you go. Three good things he could do. I'm now picturing dinosaur Elon Musk back in the day. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just like calling it... Calling a guy an egg fucker on Growler or whatever. <laughs> when you said that he'd made his, he'd become the second richest man in the world the same way as Jeff Bezos, my first thought was how many races and minds did Jeff Bezos own? <laughs> so, shall we move on to the main event? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the main event is unfortunately the spending review. Yay! I'm a nerd. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. So. A couple of weeks ago now, Rishi Sunak delivered the spending review, which is basically the opposite of the budget, where he says he's going to spend loads of money. Normally, the spending review is the bit where he comes in and says, I am now not going to spend lots of money. So, regulatory shit. Regulatory shit, yeah. Um, Although, obviously, overshadowed by coronavirus and propped up by some wonderful um, assistance from the media as well. A few points of what's involved... Wait, is this the thing where you had like bits of pie and he was wearing a chef's hat? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that's is- about the fucking level I'm on for this, Jamie. To be honest, I've been paying sweet fuck all attention, and the only thing I've seen is that graphic being passed around Twitter. Yeah, I, I just ignore the news. I, honestly, I don't know why I agree to do this podcast. It's just fucking depressing me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find out what's happening. <laughs> that's a, uh, like- well, like, that, that's exactly the that's exactly the problem in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> This is basically a goggle box for Jamie. <laughs> I, I'm, happy, I'm happy to confirm ignorance really is bliss. <laughs> now, I think you'll find me and Jamie are both sat on the couch with this one with popcorn. So, you know, entertain us. Come on. Excellent. Alrighty. <laughs> so the kind of headline points are that about 1.3 million public sector workers are going to see their pay frozen in 2021 20, to 2022, but 2 million of them, so the majority which earn less than the median wage of £24,000 a year, will get a minimum £250 increase, which, if you sit and do the maths, is very, 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 very slightly over 1%, which is the generous amount that most public sector workers got last year after a 10-year fucking freeze. Mm. Um, even, even your statement that the median wage is twenty four grand a year is fucking depressing, quite frankly. Isn't it? Isn't it just? And that's the like national median as well. So that's where like the North and Scotland and Wales drag that way the fuck down from the median in London, which I think is closer to like twenty eight. So I've got a question: What's inflation currently sitting at? Two point what? Yes. Um, really? Yeah. I've, yeah, I've got. I'm learning something I've, today. I've got a follow up question: What's inflation? <laughs> it's a strange internet fetish. Seb, for the love of God. Isn't everything. (laughs) 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 Do you know what is terrible is someone gives a shitpost answer and then you understand what it is and it it all unfolds behind your eyes in your head. (laughs) And you find yourself running to dry economics to try and get the fuck away from it. (laughs) I like how ready he was with it. (laughs) Oh. Okay, inflation is essentially the decrease in value of currency year on year, right? 
Um, don't ask why they call it inflation. It's complicated. But basically, every year um, for the last little while, going back to like the 80s, the government had this target of keeping inflation around 2%. That is, every year, money is worth about 2% less than it was the year before, roughly. Which is why you get this whole thing of, you know, uh, 50 quid back in the 1970s is worth so much more than so 50 quid today. This is why this is why chomps get more expensive over time, is what you're saying? Un- unironically, yes. That and supply chain issues, which is a separate thing, right? And so th- the reason this matters, the reason I asked the question is because if they're getting a 1% bump, right, but inflation is 2%, then actually they're losing 1% of their salary every yeah, year. Yeah, it's a real terms pay cut. And remember, it was frozen for... 10 years. Yeah. So mm. for 10 years, they lost 2% of the value of their paycheck every year. And the problem is the vast majority of people in the country don't understand this. And it's kind of by design, right? And so in real terms, living conditions have been getting shitter and shitter and shitter. And yet despite all of this, they've decided that the new generation of video games are going to cost 70 fucking dollars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but just, just buy less avocado toasts. <laughs> yes, that is apparently the solution. Also, stop getting frothy coffees. But I have to live in the coffee cups. Where will I go? Where will I sleep? A shoe, obviously. Ah, yeah. Just print Man, out, it, print it, out all of your inflation fetish websites and build a tent. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's public sector workers. It's mostly civil servants, um, doctors, nurses, and other NHS workers will get a rise. It's higher than that. I can't remember exactly how much they're getting, but it will be higher than the 1%. Um, 2.2. There you go, 2.2. No, that's not I am going to put money down now that inflation is at 2.2%. Let me check that. Well, no, that's not not the NHS workers one. Um, Right. right, 2.2% is the national living wage rise. Uh Uh-huh. Or a minimum of £345 a year to a whopping £8.91 an hour. So generous, very living. That's got to be at least like 80 pence a day. <laughs> is any? How, is how any... could you even spend such untold riches? Mm. <laughs> I mean, this is the living wage though, right? So like, and I'm yeah, pretty sure is, yeah. no, no place also, is obligated not, not to not actually the one pay they, the Not the one wage. they actually give people, yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, Oh, no, exactly. no, 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 no. Because uh, this is the thing. So the national living wage is the... Um, minimum, minimum wage, wage but for 25 and overs like that, if you're 25 or over that's the minimum wage for you but they call it a living wage because you're not supposed to live until you're because, 25 or some shit yeah, it's I was smaller say, until people, you're people 25 are, people are 24 and under don't aren't technically alive that's, that's <laughs> true yes yes yeah um, you don't get your soul until your 25th birthday this is well mm-hmm. established fact now so uh, can I can I drag us around to some economics talk for a second? Because no, I just uh, absolutely not. Oh, okay. I forbid it. <laughs> right. right, fine. Okay, sure. Let's not. No, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, let's talk more about inflation, but not the economics guys. <laughs> right. Well, economics no, this goal. is a, this this episode is incredibly enlightening. Said there are things about you I didn't want to know, and now maybe ingrained in my mind. Did you drag that statue off a plinth so you could try and inflate it? Was that like some kind of kink thing you were doing? Oh, well, I knew they would have to bring it up the bottom of the harbour using giant balloons. So, yeah, I was playing the long game there. <laughs> All right, cool, we cracked it. No, so I just, I just, I just Googled what is inflation in the UK at present, because I genuinely am out of date on it and I've not really been looking. And um, there is a beautiful article from the BBC which goes into this, right? 
Um, and it says, oh, the consumer price index is sitting at 0.7%. Well, that sounds good. But the same article goes down and it talks about how, well, actually there's different measures of inflation. And the Office of National Statistics really prefers to quote the CPI figure. But it turns out there's uh, there's other ones, the CPIH, which is the consumer mm-hmm. price index, but it also including owner-occupiers' housing costs. Mm-hmm. And then there's a retail price index, i.e. Yes. how much things actually cost. Do you want to have a guess what the variation is between these? So the one they're quoting is 0.7. That would Do you want to guess? That will be CPI. Yeah, that's, that's CPI. So um, the RPI thing, uh, figure is 1.6%. A whole point nine percent higher, right? Mm. Which is still, I mean, you know, it's not bad to target it below two percent for complicated reasons. Um, and it's like, yeah, Jesus fucking Christ! It's like they're even trying to rig the the figures that they're posting to say, oh, you know, it's it's not the price of things isn't what ma- what matters. You know, housing. We shouldn't really look at housing either. Just absolute fucking garbage. Oh yeah, if just you deconstruct the measures, like you know, you've got those actual percentage values there as well. But like they're the the way that they actually calculate the changes, it's still like you know five percent of how big or small the change is is like on you know hotel prices and stuff. Yeah, and who spends five percent of their budget on hotels? It it's not like any kind of real living person's budget. So it's yeah, it's like I'm aware of how constructed it is. It's just it, my mind is blown that not only are they constructing the arbitrary figures to kind of exclude all the horrors of how bad it actually is, but the figure they've come to is actually not good enough. So they have to construct alternate figures as well. Like it is not only do they rig the game to produce a figure that says inflation is lower than it is, but then they go, oh no, what our rigged game isn't producing a low enough figure. Let's develop a new series of rigged games and use those figures instead. Just absolute bullshit all the way down. Yeah. And then try explaining what fucking CPIH is to just like some dude who wants to know what inflation is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's total garbage. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I blame the financialization of the global economy. You know, you can't, you're um, not making real things. You're not doing investments anymore. Of course, you go invent a bunch, a whole bunch of financial instruments, and then you need four different inflation rates to uh, maximize the amount of uh, financial instruments you can sell, right? I mean, a little bit. Mostly it goes back to the 70s and it goes back to essentially the debt crises. And um, like basically capital went on strike. You know, they basically went, oh, you know, um, inflation is high. We don't like this. And the reason they don't like high inflation is because this directly translates to how much you have to repay on debts. So think about it. If if the money that you take out in a debt is less worth, uh, you know, it's worth less and less every year, then essentially um, if the interest on the loan is lower than inflation and you're still getting paid and still getting pay rises which is a big fucking asterisk then that debt gets eaten away by inflation and that coincidentally is how a lot of boomers and others got their fucking houses um the houses were basically paid for by inflation and so all the lenders basically went on strike and the Reagan and Thatcher governments came in in direct response to this. This was their project. And ever since then, the neoliberal consensus has been inflation cannot go above 2.5% in dire scenarios. Because if it does, then suddenly debts, um, you know, they're no longer solid. They're a bit of a risk and they don't like that. 
Um, literally the entire economy is orientated around people being allowed to lend and be sure they will get their money back. That's it. That's the entire fucking thing. Um, and so well, it's kind of, when you accept that, suddenly a lot about the world starts to become crystal clear. It really is landlords all the way down. We already know, though, that it doesn't, you know, debt's only for poor people. If you're rich and you're in debt and you default for whatever, then the government will give you money. Like, Well, well yeah, that's, that's what the entire political order was seized to be able to do. We turned from an economy that broadly benefited debtors, but not by that much, to one that is in favor of creditors. And like, um, you know, fair play to him. Um, professor of political economy at Brown University, Mark Blythe, talks a bit about this. Um, I was going to bring him up and then I remembered your opinions of him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like he's a, he's a fucking lib. Um, and he's very much, he's talking about the system from a perspective of wanting to preserve it. But his analysis isn't wrong. Like when a liberal says, oh man, we need to fix this fucking thing because if we don't, our gravy tip train is over. Like his analysis about why it's broken is correct. And he, you know, he talks very candidly about the fact that there was a political revolution where the intended purpose was to make sure that rich people could always make their crusts and will always be bailed out. Um, and if you're poor, well, you're fucked. That's it. Like you exist to be extracted from. Um, and a consequence of this, by the way, has led to the instability in the modern age. And this is where I kind of deviate from Blythe a bit. Currently, companies and particularly in corporate debt right now are incredibly leveraged whereby they've taken all their assets and rather than just sitting on them, they're loaning them out to each other and, you know, investments and other kind of things um, on the premise that, oh, don't worry, we'll always make our money back, which you can only really, like, basically you can only do that if the entire economy is rigged such that you will always get returns. The second that merry-go-round stops, you're in serious trouble. And so I've been sitting watching the stock market going, just how far will they go to prop this thing up? Because um, we could actually be in real serious shit this time if we get another 2008 scenario, but eh, we're getting off topic. Well, yeah. Um, there's actually a few allusions to previous events throughout this as well. So, the economy is set to contract by 11.3% in 2020, which is the largest oh. fall for more than 300 years. Now, why could it be contracting that much, David? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confused by this. Is what we got going on that could cause that contraction? Um, People are really disgusted by Seb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spending has stopped in protest until we deal with the said problem. Yeah, um, yeah. Because everything's been fucked by coronavirus, basically, um, and the way that we measure any sort of well-being, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is number. Obviously, that's all saying it's fucked. So the economy forecast for next year is a growth of five point five percent. Bear in mind that's after a contraction of 11.3%. And then also the fact that every single time they forecast growth, it's like not the number they've expected and it's always a lot lower. <laughs> I love Think that graph. It's such oh, a good it's graph. So beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful. They've got this graph which is going up at like a kind of sort of meandering on a downward trendish kind of way where it's sort of it's, it's getting places but my god it's it's like it's being weighed down and then every single projection has it taken off in a fucking you know exponential curve essentially and what's really good is that graph where you they have the past forecasts versus what it actually <laughs> did and it's just this solid wall of lines taking off like a fucking jet plane and then the actual economy just kind of drizzling along underneath <laughs> it's brilliant it's beautiful yeah, you find uh, them literally <clears throat> everywhere as well. It it's 
literally the basis of all economic forecasting. It's like, almost um, as if economics is just astrology for rich people. It's, it's sort so. of, it's like economics is basically bamboozlement for poor people. That's really what it kind of is at the yeah. end of the day. Well, speaking of poor people, unemployment's going to reach about 7.5% next spring. That's about 2.6 million people who are out of work. Do you know, right, I have to rant here. We talked a minute ago about how the inflation figures are contrived and they're actually uh-huh. not real. And they're so contrived that they then have contrived another set of figures because the first set of figures failed to be contrived enough. Yes. Employment is exactly like this on yes. steroids. The real employment figure is vastly, vastly higher. I think yeah. we looked into this, I want to say a couple months ago, I think, if I'm not mistaken here, to be considered in work, you have to work one hour mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. two weeks. Mm-hmm. And you're considered in employment. Yes. You're also not considered in. You're not considered not in employment if you've given up seeking for work. For example, if you, like they like to say, oh, if you're a housewife or a house husband, let's be fair, um, then you don't count, right? You don't count as being out of work. So they use that category to neatly sweep anyone who's no longer looking for a job into it. So if you've given up and bottomed out, then you don't count. Great. Very cool. So as long as you're not, if you're not like actively searching through the job center or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just assume you live in on savings or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you're offered, if you're offered the agricultural and IT college, learning how to like, <laughs> you know what I mean, teach, teach cows how to do C plus plus, that uh, you're not unemployed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's true. If you are pursuing a training course or further education, you don't count as unemployed. That's why students can't like sign on over the summer or anything like that because technically they fall outside the rules. And it used to be they could, but no, not anymore. They changed that back in, I think, the Blair years, if I remember correctly. Um, But yeah, so there's all these contrivances to avoid addressing how many people are out of work. Uh, So yeah. So what was that figure you quoted there, David? It was 7.5%, which is 2.6 million people. I would double that. I'd say it's easily 15%. At least. With the amount of casual work that goes on, it's well below any sort of living wage. Yeah, yeah, 100%. If you want to like really consider it, I would put it close to, well, probably 20 to 25%, I think, at the end of the day, which sounds like apocalyptically bad, and it is. Um, That's including all the people who are like fucking running around with their children delivering for Amazon at 8 p.m. at night sort of thing. Yeah, I've seen that. That's fucking... Anyway, um, I'll I'll depress this in different ways. (laughs) £394 billion in... The borrowing forecast for this year, which is equivalent to 19% of GDP, the highest ever in peacetime. That's apparently relevant. Mm. Um, I should note that these files and all this I've taken is straight from the BBC website. So that's why it's got things like mentioning in peacetime as if that's anything, because obviously Johnson's been doing this fucking war rhetoric shit throughout the entire crisis. Mm Mm-hmm. So that, that explains why that's World War cosplay is like the national hobby. Oh, absolutely. As the um, front page of the sun was unreal today. Like, it was a full-on Union Jack with a fucking V for victory shit on the front of it because they've got a vaccine now. Uh, yeah, did you see Did you see that thing where fucking, um, was it Shortly Brewer asked fucking <clears throat> App Mancock if the reason we had the vaccine was because of Brexit? I and didn't he said, see her ask that, but I, I have seen other, others being asked that probably because she's done it. 
But I, th- I think I think I read it was her. And she asked him that, and he he sort of like went, oh, "Well, well, yes, yeah, that's a good point." And it's like the most depressing part about that is that Matt Hancock is apparently too stupid to think up such an obvious lie himself. <laughs> mm. I mean, you had Gavin Williamson on. I think it was OBC saying um, the reason that we're getting the vaccine first or whatever is because we're just a better country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, lovely bit of unfounded jingoism there. Just yeah. Like. Um, UK debt will be equivalent to ninety-one point nine percent of GDP this year, and will rise to ninety-seven point five percent of GDP in twenty twenty-five to twenty twenty-six. Apparently that matters. I was going to say, I don't does, like. Does that matter? Because it's, it's it doesn't. Not real, is it? It literally doesn't. No, it, it does. It does matter in one way, in that the Tories are always going on about how you have to settle the debt and it's important to balance the books and the country is just a really a big credit card if you think about it, <laughs> and they've kept saying that for like ten years, despite the fact that they've grown the debt. Just that the money's not gone to anything useful. It's gone to their billionaire friends. And now they've got this coronavirus excuse, which, I mean, fair enough, you you have to borrow. You have to, like, spend money during what is essentially a global crisis. But now they can go, ah, well, it is important, but clearly we had to have the best interest of the country at heart, so that's why the debt's so big. And any sort of useful or non-just completely useless Labour Party would go, right, so you're admitting that borrowing and investing is actually a good thing and we should do it more, but they won't because it's Keith. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that I've been batting around a little bit, um, certainly since before this spending review, I think I sort of started getting an inkling of it um, when the last time that, uh, you know, the Treasury... Uh, announced you know the support packages or whatever is that sort of austerity was never like politically discredited in this country it no. it was theoretically a sham from the minute it got you know announced basically like the the main uh, economic paper that they were pointing to to say aha you know big lots of debt is bad um you know that was full of like excel errors they just literally weren't looking at the right numbers. <laughs> um, no, it, it was it was worse than that. It was they intentionally falsified it. I'm sorry, I'm having a go at those e- economists. They literally they massaged their numbers to hide the fact that the data they had did not support the outcome that they were advocating. They got paid very well for advocating it, and then it took a graduate student actually asking for their data, looking at the spreadsheet and going, oh, hang on, this spreadsheet is misconfigured. You're not actually producing the correct numbers before they went, oh, whoops, oh, well. You know, yeah. like... I'm sorry. They knew what they were doing. Bullshit. I don't believe it. When even the IMF is saying austerity might actually be kind of bad, don't do it. And we're yeah. still going to do so it. Like, like... The, the theoretical underpinnings are gone. Um, we've got the experience of the UK for the last decade, which is appallingly bad because no one's got any money and no one's spending any money and everything's getting worse and worse every year. Um, but politically, like the whole concept of, oh no, We've got to pay back our credit card debt, et cetera, et cetera. That's still a very live thought, I think. Mainstream as well. Yeah. Do you know, it's like I can blow that up right here and now because I've pulled up some data here um, because I wanted to talk about this with the actual figures in front of me. So do you know how the government does borrowing? Just throwing this out here. What? The UK government? Yeah, yeah. How? Well, any government, but the UK government, let's go with that. How do they actually borrow money? 
Just print it. No. Wonga.com. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you're going to be really mad when you think about Wonga. Keep Wonga in mind, okay? There's a reason for that. So governments can print money, but we don't want to do that because that raises inflation, or at least that's the presiding theory. We won't go into that right now. Let's just accept that as true. How they actually raise money is they issue bonds. And a government bond is dead simple. It's a piece of paper that says, you give the UK government X amount now, and in a set period of time defined on the paper, the government will repay you the money plus a percentage, right? The average, the average for that, by the way, is 15 years. Well, so here's the thing. They actually offer a whole variety of different bonds. And I'm looking at them right now, okay? Um, so there's interest rates on these bonds. So the government basically is borrowing money from people and saying, don't worry, I'll, I'll pay you back later plus a percent for you know every year, etc. Um, would you like to guess... Uh, what the percent is for, let's say, five years. What is the percentage interest on the money the government has to repay if you take out a government bond? Is it less than 1%? Negative 0.5. Okay. If you buy a five-year bond from the government, the government will give you back your money in five years and only five years, plus 0.009%. Sold. <laughs> right. But oh, oh, okay, that's still, they have to repay money. Here's the thing. I picked five years because that's the first year at which the number turns positive. <laughs> if you were to get a four-year bond from the government, then the government would give you back your money in four years minus 0.037%. So you're losing money. Yes, you're losing money. You're giving you're it to the government you're and you're government. getting back less. Okay. Um, but you're buying years, peace of mind. And how you can put a price on that? Well, no, I'll talk about this in a minute. Um, three years <laughs> is 0 0.043. Two years is 0 0.048. Negative. All of this is negative. Um, one year is 0 0.035. Six months is 0 0.082. Three months is 0 0.141. And one month is 0 0.078. So if you do short-term borrowing from the government, you're basically going, ah, listen, I'm, I'm, I need somewhere safe to park this. I'll pay you to look after it for me. And the government goes, I okay. And it's only if you get to five years that that number turns positive, right? But it goes all the way up to 50 years. So you're like, oh, well, shit. What, what does it cost the government to borrow for 50 years, right? Would anyone like to guess what is the percentage the government pays? And I'll tell you, it is positive. I'll give you that clue. 1%. 0.753%. Oh, I was so close. I was going to guess 0.69. Nice. Now, now, so if you if you have a UK government, you issue a bond for 50 years, and in 50 years' time, you pay back 0.53% uh, extra on top. Now, put this together with what I told you before about inflation targets, where the money is worth less, but stays, it's still denoted in UK money. <laughs> what do, what, so hang on, if inflation is around 2% every year, and in 50 years you've got to pay it back at 0.753%, then hang on a minute, isn't, in real terms, isn't the UK government paying back less? Like, isn't it being eaten away by inflation? How do you think we paid off the fucking World War II debt? Do you think it was by, you know, making payments and doing it very kind of carefully and, and making sure that we were paying the full value? No. Well, I assume it, we just got to a point where, like, you know, the, the debt was worth, like, three freddos and we just paid it with those. 
Yeah, basically, we made minimum payments where we could get away with it and then let inflation eat it away. And America let us do this in exchange for a variety of different geopolitical considerations. And that's, right? that's just a financial fuckery as well, though, right? It's not even getting to the fact that if the government literally just took that money and shoved it into the economy... Yes. Well, this they is get the thing. Back fiscal multipliers and taxes. Yeah. But see, this is the thing. Like money, money accelerates through the economy. Like a fiver to you is not that much, but a fiver that goes from you to someone else to someone else to someone else to someone else, it has it, it gains more. It gets things moving. It produces more in terms of actual income. So there is nothing stopping the fucking government taking out you know, debts, and I use this term very fucking loosely looking at those interest rates, Mm -hmm. pumping that money into the economy, not only getting the debts eaten by inflation, but also getting increased taxes off the back of it. Austerity is a scam from start to finish. It's completely, completely unnecessary, and it really is all just based around making sure money goes for rich and doesn't go anywhere near the poor, and you don't let the poor realise that the game is rigged. And now, to, to round it out, David, what's the interest rates on Wonga? If I want to take a one month loan? Do you know? Many. They're, they're, well, now they're, there's none because it's fucked, but um, yeah. it was <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. large. Yeah, like, you know, hundreds of percents were, were potentially available, depending on mm-hmm. how much you wanted mm-hmm. to borrow and all the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, no, the government's saying, oh, you know, debt's risen to the highest ever. Fuck them. Fuck them right there. No, it doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. They are paying sub 1% interest. Fuck them. Yeah, but you see, if they if they borrow by issuing bonds and then put the money back into the economy and inflation and all that other stuff you talked about, it doesn't make Matt Hancock's like butcher any richer, so they can't do that. Yeah, hmm. but yeah, like that—that's basically it. I guess saying it's never politically discredited. It did its political task really well of well. empowering the rich and increasing inequality, shrinking the state, etc. So there's always at least until people realize that it's it's not just like accidentally wrong or a bad strategy that failed but a bad strategy that succeeded then yeah it's someone in power is going to either you know actually believe it and think it's the right thing to do yeah we've or realize got like, what it actually does and then keep trying to do it because they're the ones profiting is it sixty thousand dead or cases that we passed today dead mm-hmm. dead, dead. Sixty thousand dead from coronavirus but on the other hand, Matt Hancock's hairdresser owns a successful PPE empire now, so it's impossible to say whether it's been a good or bad year. <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, keep that analysis in mind for when we get to the article that I've got for this. Because it's mm. a store fucking hell. So I'll rattle through a few other figures in specific areas. So health, they're going to spend £18 billion on COVID testing, PPE and vaccines next year. The health budget in England is going to rise by £6 billion, which includes an extra £3 billion for the NHS to cope with COVID pressures. So realistically, in real terms, it's not actually a great deal. Um, and obviously the way that they obfuscate these stats, yeah. and it's just it's meaningless shit. The is yeah, it's the same be... thing where inflation has made everything inflation's made everything go up. So, you know, the, the NHS needs £20 million more. Yes. So the stories go, aha, we're giving it 15 billion more. That's more than we always did. And it's like, yes, because it's worth less now. It's still yes. not enough. There was a report probably going on five years now that said they, the NHS needed 27 billion pounds then just to keep standing uh-huh. still. <laughs> so, yeah, this is not even that, well, even with all the additional COVID spending. There's 1 billion to tackle treatment backlogs to enable delayed operations to go ahead. I don't know if that's part of the six billion, 
It might be. It might not be. I don't know. Are we trying to treat illnesses with direct cash infusions now? Just shoving <laughs> the pounds into people. <laughs> no, at this point, it's more cash homeopathy. Yeah. <laughs> what you 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 rather than use a whole pound, you use a penny and water it down really heavily, <laughs> and then don't exactly. actually give them the penny. Just give them the water that the penny's been in. Correct. Sounds about right, David. <laughs> um, I see you've dealt with the DWP before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a whole five hundred million pounds for mental health services in England, which is an absolute drop in the ocean, and was so before COVID. It's a hell of a lot more than that now. £325 million to replace old diagnostic equipment and £300 million of extra grant funding for councils for social care, which, again, when you apply to the entirety of England, is fuck all, especially considering the state that council funding is in at the moment and they're already having to really toe the line in a lot of places with mm. the services that they're legally obliged to provide, like social care. Yeah, and I mean, even the Tory ones are going bust now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funnily enough, they were some of the first ones to go. Was it Northamptonshire or something like that? A couple of years ago, went right yeah. in the Swanee, and that was that been Tory run forever. Um, yeah, good point. An employment, a £4.6 billion package to help people back to work, which I can only assume means a new DWP website. I think it's actually just buying tractors to push people into the Amazon warehouse. <laughs> Maybe it's um, tractors to push people into the agricultural colleges where they teach IT. <laughs> no, they don't. Sorry, the agricultural colleges where they teach IT have long been shut down now. Of now course. it's all now it's all an online learning course for cyber. Mm. <laughs> Just <true>. cyber. <laughs> ah, well, now who's bringing up weird internet sex things, eh? <laughs> God, you know, Seb, right? Everyone who listens to this podcast knows what I mean when I refer to those DWP posters on she's a ballerina, but soon she'll be doing cyber. But no, no, I think you'll find, Seb, that you're too horny on main tonight. <laughs> something is going on here. Seb's podcasting in his wizard hat and robe. <laughs> he's got the bicycle pump out and he's ready to use it. Uh... I don't so, like how this thing has gone. <laughs> that was certainly a fucking noise you made, like. <laughs> <laughs> it begins. Right, oh, um, no. if I can drag his screaming loudly and in one case quite emphatically back on topic. We had a topic? <laughs> yes, we did, yeah. £2.6 billion for the restart scheme, which is to support those out of work for 12 months. Oh, hook, hook it to my fucking veins. <laughs> I so, live for this shit like of that 2.6 billion pounds I'm going to say about zero of it is actually going to make its way to those people who are out of work for 12 months oh absolutely I want to know how the restart scheme was su that supporting people out of work for 12 months is different from the 4.6 billion package to help people back to work oh, wait, wait, for, wait for it wait for it because along with the restart scheme there's 1.6 billion pounds for the kickstart scheme which will subsidise jobs for young people. Riding riding motorbikes over logs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a £375 million skills package, which apparently includes £138 million to provide lifetime skills guarantees, which is just skills wallets, if I'm reading that right. Yes! <laughs> so, congratulations, Joe Swinson. You did actually become the Prime Minister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She had to kill a lot of squirrels to get where she is today. 
<laughs> we definitely feel like we're in the swing zone now, don't we? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm very excited for the vaccine to come out, COVID to be over. We all go back to like normal and I end up, do you know what I mean? In a, sh- in a shed somewhere learning how to do cyber while the fucking nativity takes place next door. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, the thing that's like really aggravating about all of this is that ultimately we could be doing borrowing and we could be applying it. Like you hear about all of these things where we're just not pumping enough money into the system. We could be borrowing and we could be doing this pretty much indefinitely, right? Um, even if we changed very little else because people are willing to borrow from the UK government because it's a safe bet and it's hedged against all the things which are very unsafe. We've got a rock, like we have a something like 0.002% chance of going bankrupt and like busting essentially. And so because of that, people like, oh, do you know, think I'm expecting, I'm expecting the stock market to crash. Maybe I'll park money with the UK government instead. Cause I know that come hell or high water, there'll still be a UK <laughs> at some point in the future, you know? So we could, for a very long time, we could be just literally taking out loans and using it to do this stuff and repaying less when we actually get the value of. Like we, we, we don't have to live like this, except except that imperils this whole system of like you know a minister's mate who runs a back to work scheme getting kickbacks because that's what all this shit is it really is just handing money to like you know people further down the pyramid it's a kind of patronage uh, politics in a roundabout way that's very like above board and non-obvious and that's before by the way we get to the issue of corporate subsidies because we are doing expenditure quite a lot of expenditure on like i don't know i believe they're called bp and shell and various other companies which get massive 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 subsidies from our government despite being profitable businesses something to think about anyway i don't have a joke that no no I, I, no no sometimes there isn't a joke sometimes it is just miserable <laughs> the whole thing's a joke that's the joke <laughs> and it's also miserable go. um yeah. i'm certainly feeling fucking jokeified well, if you'd like a joke, a new UK infrastructure bank to be established in the north of England. Fuck off. So I can only assume that means they're going to buy a building and then have a lot of people... Fill it with motorways. <laughs> no, they're just going to have a lot of people in London call people who are also allegedly based in that building but are working from home. That's largely going to be the point of it. It's, it's not going to be a real thing. No, they'll just build a river bank next to, you know, the Manchester Canal system or something. Mm. Yeah, it'll be bullshit. <laughs> On the one hand, though, it could be good because when the Northern Independence Party finally breaks Northumbria away, they might be able to expropriate that. So we'll see how it goes. And <laughs> yes, the NIP. Lovely. So can I just check, David? Are you saying you're in favour of Northern England independence? Yeah, let's do fucking Scott Paul. Let's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything else tonight. Let's do this. I am potentially in favour. The car is on fire and there's no driver at the wheel. <laughs> I, will, I will just leave it as I'm potentially in favour, potentially of a socialist-led movement to do so. That's that's my take on it so far. We'll find out more. Hopefully we're going to get someone on from the Northern Independence Party for a future episode, so we'll probably talk about it more then rather than derail this episode with the, the aforementioned Scott Paul. 
Yeah, the, the car may be on fire and owns at the wheel, but we still have to debate whether we're trapped in the belly of this great beast. So, <laughs> to be revisited. So, our last couple of points on this from the BBC News article is... We are. We're just finishing it off, though. Um, the overseas aid budget is going to be cut from 07 to 0.5% of total national income. So, fuck you, other countries. And at the same time, a multi-billion pound increase in annual defence spending over the next four years. which will For the allegedly, same reason. Yeah, which will allegedly create 40,000 jobs, presumably in cyber. <laughs> oh, no, actually, just reading ahead, it is for cyber because there's a new centre dedicated to artificial intelligence. That'll go well. And a national cyber force to counter terrorists, organised crime groups and hostile states. Fucking hell. Excellent. I love this new center dedicated to artificial intelligence so Dominic Cummings can finally live out his Rocco's Basilisk dreams. <laughs> well, look, when the world turns into the ending of Deus Ex and we've got to have horrible AIs fighting against billionaires trying to upload themselves to Amazon Cloud or whatever, then you'll be really glad that you put those 10 skill points into the government program to learn how to ask ASL on a web chat. Mm. Uh, sorry, you've now got me picturing Jamie as JC. Like, he's even got the same first initial, right? Just picturing Jamie at the end of fucking Deus Ex versus, like, fucking Jeff Bezos hooked up to the machine, ready to become a, you know, sentient god. And Jamie's just uh, being like, all right, what's this then? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, he skipped all of the cutscenes up until that point, and so he's just wandering around, not knowing. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. I remember getting. I remember getting all four different endings on the original Deus Ex, but the the remake was it Human Revolution. Yeah. What with the ending room where you press a button yeah. to choose an ending? I've, I've mm. played through that game three three times, and I've never not walked the extra hundred feet to press the button that kills everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Big mood. <laughs> Jamie walks into the House of Lords. Oh my god, JC, a bomb. <laughs> so now we've had a look at what's actually involved in the spending review and everything that's going to be thrown at us. Let's have a look at how the media received it. So, how about some pesting? Oh, for sake. I never, never, never in my life will I say yes to how about some pesting. Hmm. So, it's titled... Spending review, how the UK's COVID-19 debts may turn out very expensive. Interesting. Very interesting, especially after all the points we've just had made. <laughs> did you see that tweet he did the other day where he was quote-tweeting some like guy from the EU and just repeating what the guy had said in his fucking tweet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is his job. It's his job that he gets paid half a million pounds a year for. How? They should open like a fucking. Do you know what I mean? They should open a bunch of like agricultural and journalism colleges and send me to one of those. <laughs> See, when you said how there, Jamie, I immediately thought you were saying it in a Scottish sense, which is why. Yeah, and it made a lot more sense. <laughs> okay, there is a view that we don't have to worry about the record debt the government has accumulated since coronavirus laid waste at our way of life and our economy. I fucking hate this yes. guy. And it is correct. End of article. <laughs> yes. Just be glad I'm not reading it with the weird inflections that he does. 
I'm, to be honest, I'm just glad that Elijah isn't on this episode because otherwise we'd be getting this in Roberto Pesto kind of mode. <laughs> <laughs> what angle are you reclining at as you read this? Because, like, you know what I mean? You need to be incredibly, like, loose. Is that, is that how you pronounce that word? Loose. That I've only ever seen written down. <laughs> I think you'll find David is incredibly erect for this. <laughs> I am most certainly not. Seb, <laughs> you're a bad influence on me tonight, right? <laughs> oh. oh yeah, blame me. In two senses, I would half agree, though the other half of me is racked with anxiety. Hang on, sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, that, like, that in two senses, I would agree, but the other half of me... In two senses, I would half agree. So what? I think he split himself four ways on this. Yeah, that's what I'm getting to. (laughs) He's fucking time-cubing his own economic analysis now. (laughs) The world's first non-Euclidean journalist. Imagine four journalists on the end of a client. (laughs) Economics works the same way. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Right, let's start with the Micawber view. That sounds like a fucking spy novel. (laughs) <laughs> like an Air Force spy novel yeah. yeah first this is not a uniquely British problem it is a problem of all developed economies however you should not underestimate the geopolitical significance of the explosion of debt in the rich west because it represents by implication the fastest transfer of wealth and power to China and Asia in our lifetimes fuck off Fuck right off, mm-hmm. then fuck off some more, <laughs> then open a door and keep fucking off, and keep fucking off until you're in China, then say that to them and see what fucking reaction you get. <laughs> Sorry. Would you like to unpack that, James? Yes, right, okay. It's predicated on this premise that the debt we're taking on meaningfully shifts money over to China, etc., because it, notoriously, all our borrowing has been bought up by Asian markets. Hmm, has it? Has it also, really? I'm, also, it assumes that money's a finite resource. That we yeah, can't well, just make I more mean, of. It, it, it's just so wrong on so many levels. Just, it's, it's pure. This is fucking... This is the same. Did you hear that article a guy wrote saying, oh, you know, we need to outbirth China. We need to have like so many million new Americans. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's the same fucking impulse. It's like, you know, Orientalist panic, essentially. It's, oh, you know, those crafty Chinese. Remember, it used to be the Japanese back in the day. It's like, oh, Japan's going to take over the world. And they had their decade where everything went to shit and they've never really quite come back from that. It's the same thing. It's just a moving target. It is essentially the mechanism or a kind of fashion Fascism, um, where always looks for its scapegoat, except it's applied to a, a national and sorry, an international geopolitical sphere, where it's always the the crafty, wily Orient East is going to eat our lunch. We need to be very careful, and we're going to use that fear to justify you know deprivations we have to do at home. It's just, it's sorry, that's what this is. Are you Let's saying see where it goes with it? Are you saying that liberalism requires an other to function? Well, I mean, you know, I'm not ready to have this argument with Seb today, but there are parallels. <laughs> there are parallels between the operation of liberalism in good times and how fascism unfolds when that good operation starts to fall apart. But yes. let's not let's not visit that right now. No, before no, no, no. we uh, before we move on with is this the article that we're reading this? This is the article. Yes. Right, okay. So the end is yeah. in sight. That, that's good to <laughs> yes. Know. yes, that's I'm about, I'm I'm glad. about to eat a fucking bullet over here. Yeah, I'm glad it's not just the fucking listeners that are hating this. It's you as well. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the pod everyman. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> Bear in mind, that, that was only his first point there. Second, there is the important counterfactual, namely, what would have happened to us if the government had not borrowed and spent all that cash, which does not bear thinking about. All that said, it will be a, all caps, huge moment on Wednesday when the Office for Budget Responsibility confirms that the UK is on course to borrow around $400 billion this year, equivalent to around 20% of national income, and that the national debt will rise to well over 100% of that same national income. Outside of world wars, this is a uniquely large and fast rise in public sector debt. I love this motherfucker has actually said, the alternative is worse, but let me scaremonger about this yeah. as if there was ever any other option for a bit. Yes. Again, it's a fucking nonsense sentence that he's even put it through then, because hasn't he basically said, well, let's take a minute to think about the counterfactual, which is too horrible to think about. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fuck me, this guy cannot write. <laughs> well, no, he, he can write quite effectively, but this is a problem. He really He's can, because I just struggled to get passes. that full sentence out there because it was so fucking long. That one sentence was a paragraph. No, but it's... It's intentional. It's intentional. Rhetorically, what he's doing is he's waving a bunch of boogeyman. It's like, do you ever been on one of those things they have at Halloween where it's like a Halloween scare walkthrough where you're being guided down a path and as people jump out in costumes and go, woo, and you're like, oh no, and then you keep walking, essentially? He's rhetorically constructing that where he's shepherding you towards an outcome which is predetermined, which is, oh, and that's why we have to do austerity. And he's taking every tortured method he possibly can to obfuscate that what he's talking about makes no sense, that it isn't necessary, that these fears are not justified or not real. Like he brings up the fear of China and then quickly moves on. Then he brings up, oh, it's more debt than we've ever had before, then quickly moves on. And he you know, throws it all together so you don't have time to stop and really think about what's being said. It is intentional. It is intentional. Mm. But this is now how it works. Now you're giving him more credit than he's got because he's got all these like jumbled thoughts in the back of his head and in the back of his head. And well, he's no, not no. stopped to think about them, so he just throws them out at you. No, because no, that's so all he's you, done. I'm sorry, you don't know your Chomsky because just because he doesn't understand what he's doing necessarily doesn't mean that the system that's selected for him hasn't very intentionally gone, right, this guy's a perfect moron, we can use this. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, 100% agree. I'm just making the point that he's a fucking moron. He's not like some really good writer or anything. Yeah. Yeah, let's well, not no, lose sight here. The important thing is Peston is a moron. <laughs> yeah, we can all agree on that. Oh, David, well, carry on. We certainly will after this part. <laughs> the supposed catastrophe of the banking crisis caused a deficit that was seen as an existential threat by the then governor of the Bank of England, though it was half the size of the current deficit. It's almost as if they're really different scenarios. Yeah, supposed is doing a lot of heavy fucking lifting there. But you will doubtless say interest rates are so low, it really doesn't matter if the government is borrowing on this scale. The money is effectively free. All right, let's hear him. <laughs> Go on. I'm ready for this one. The PM and Chancellor would be fools, surely, to look this gift horse in the mouth, and they should continue the spending splurge for as many years as it takes to level up, rewild, retool, reskill, and do all that's necessary to make the UK green and pleasant again. In other words, the last governor was just wrong in it. Did he? What? what? In it? Yeah, in it. I double question mark. In it. He actually typed that. He actually typed and then published that, yes. For fuck's sake. Yes. <laughs> uh. 
Seb, did you get into your inflation fetish as a means to turn away from the darkness of the world and lose yourself in pure hedonism? Was that how you got into it? You just you you read one too many pesto article and you just went, man, I can't take this anymore. I'd rather be a fucking balloon. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll just projecting now. <laughs> well, the then Governor Melvin King may well have exaggerated the risks faced by the UK at that juncture a decade ago. But as it happens, he and his then bank colleagues also created a structure for financing the government's emergency borrowing needs that brings very significant risks. What those who work in the city would call the risks of gearing and you can put the scare quotes around that. Here is why, and it is quite complicated, so please bear with me. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Gonna do some basic addition there, Peston. <laughs> when the government <laughs> borrows, it sells bonds known as gilts to investors, and these gilts yeah, carry yeah. an interest rate that's currently very low and is typically fixed uh -huh. for 10 or 20 or even 50 years. Now, the uh -huh. average maturity of these bonds is more than 15 years, according to the government's debt management office. So in theory, right. the government can forecast with some certainty its interest rate outlays for many years to come. In Except, practice it can, but carry on. Mm -hmm. Except that because of quantitative easing, that Mervyn King innovation, which made it temporarily cheaper for the government to borrow, the Treasury is now much more exposed to temporary short-term fluctuations in interest rates. And that uh, is a serious and troubling doubt. risk when the government's borrowing needs are so huge. Here is how the potentially devastating ratchet works. To remind you, the Bank of England started to engage in QE, the purchase of government debt gilts by the bank, after the 2008 crash as a new lever to cut the cost of capital. But when the Bank mm -hmm. of England buys gilts, it has to finance this purchase by creating reserves. In practice, it is buying the gilts by borrowing from commercial banks at bank rate, the benchmark interest rate for the whole economy. And because the Bank of England is a public sector institution, it is in effect the Treasury that is on the hook for all the reserves created by the Bank of England to finance QE. At this point, you have doubtless lost the will to live. He's finally got something right in this article. So I will go straight <laughs> to the punchline. I'll just note, by the way, that is not like the penultimate paragraph. Like, there are paragraphs after that. <sighs> like, I, I am following all of this, so keep going. I want to see where he's going with this. The Bank of England owns £875 billion of government bonds or gilts through its quantitative easing programme although it might not yet be quite £875 billion, but it will be soon. And the Bank of England is paying bank rate to finance that stock of bonds, which means that the Treasury is paying the bank rate to borrow that £875 billion. So every time the Bank of England cuts interest rate by 0.1%, that saves the government almost a billion pounds. And every rise of 0.1% costs the government almost a billion pounds. Times that by 10 for every 1% rise in interest rates. So there's the basic maths part that he's grasped. The point is that interest rates will have to increase at some point. Maybe not tomorrow, but it will happen. Coronavirus has eliminated capacity from the economy. Even a modest rise in activity could lead to inflationary pressures, which in turn could persuade the bank that it's time to increase the bank rate. When that happens, the dangerous gearing to which I referred earlier would kick in, because when interest rates rise, there will be a treble whammy for the government. First, and as I mentioned... It will have to pay more interest in effect on the gilts it has already sold at or owned by the bank. Second, it will have to pay more interest on the borrowing it will be carrying out through issuing new gilts because interest rates are rising, which for the next few years will be at least £300 billion every single year, probably considerably more, as it has to refinance both existing debt 
and borrow more. Third, if interest rates are rising, the Bank of England will not be engaging in quantitative easing, so will be less market demand for gilts, and that means the government will be forced to pay even more to borrow from the market. I'm sorry, did, this, did you just make the point that the whole problem with this is specifically quantitative easing, and then his third point is, but also we won't be doing quantitative easing, so we'll just have to borrow directly from the banks when that's the opposite of what governments do to borrow money? It's uh, What he's saying is our past quantitative easing is an anchor <clears throat> around our neck that is also a ticking time bomb. And if we raise interest rates, it's going to impact. It's it's actually completely and utterly wrong from start to finish because it ignores... Where do I even start? Right, finish, finish the thing, David, and then right. take it apart. Even if the era of high interest rates is over for the foreseeable future, a 1% rise in interest rates in the course of this parliament is not inconceivable. And it is not hard to come up with a scenario in which a 1% rise in the bank rate adds £20 billion and rising to the government's borrowing costs every single year. The coronavirus debt is not free. We just don't know quite how expensive it will turn out to be. Is that that main section then? That is that is the article. Right. Could you please go back and specifically to a bit where he first talks about quantitative easing and how the government finances its debt? Because I want to revisit that and I want to make sure I understand exactly what he said there before I dismantle this. The Bank of England started to engage in QE, purchase of government debt, gilts by the bank after the 2008 crash. When the Bank right. of England buys gilts, it has to finance this purchase by creating reserves. Mm-hmm. In practice, it's buying the gilts by borrowing from commercial banks at bank rate, the benchmark interest rate for the whole economy. And because the Bank of England's a public sector institution, it's the Treasury that's on the hook. Right. No. Okay. So this is all wrong. Um, this is no, correct. Surely if- not. No, no, no. Right. So this is correct if you don't actually understand how the economy works and what he's actually describing there. Because let's uh, let's explain. This is the traditional, like, classic view of how money is actually produced. Like, people think that, oh, you know, the government produces money and then banks borrow against this, etc. It's not really. What happens is banks produce money directly whenever they create a debt on their ledger sheet. You know, you heard of, like, banks being leveraged? where they have to have X amount in reserves versus mm-hmm. their debts. What that means in practice is that banks create money. When you take out a loan of a bank, it just creates a negative number next to your name in a ledger. And that is that is an asset for the bank, presuming you repay it, right? And so, you know, they don't actually need the money to loan you it. They just say that they have it. And then when you repay it, it becomes true. They time travel to borrow money from the future and give it to you now, such that you will repay them at, at, a, you know, um, at a bonus, essentially. And this is permitted. What the only restriction that's put in place is that they have money in reserve so that if some of their debts default, theoretically, they'll be able to still make ends meet and pay their taxes, etc. Except this also isn't entirely true because the banks also, to get that reserve, they essentially take from the central bank of each economy, which in this case is the Bank of England. Mm -hmm. Um, When the Bank of England talks about creating reserves, what it's basically doing is creating money. It's creating money from nowhere that it then gives to these banks to act as their reserves at interest rates. So what he's missed out from this picture is that these banks which have their reserves, they owe money to the central bank, to the Bank of England. That's mysteriously absent from this analysis, right? 
Um, the Bank of England is in a reciprocal arrangement with these smaller banks where they depend on the Bank of England because the Bank of England is a creditor of last resort. That is a key phrase, creditor. It's not that the Bank of England owes them money. No, it's that the money the Bank of England owes them in aggregate is vastly smaller than the amount they owe it because they trade in currency, like actually trade in currency that it creates, which then allows them to do their fictitious money creation off the back of it. Piston is missing all of this analysis <laughs> from the article because it then makes it suddenly say, well, hang on, so we're in a reciprocal arrangement. So you mean the banks can't really afford to, they can't afford to call the Bank of England's debt? They can't call its bluff because if they do, they're fucked. Oh, so you mean that perpetually the debt cycle there, even absent the other things we're going to get into, that could go on pretty much indefinitely? Oh shit, I guess it could. But we're also getting away from the fact of what's to stop the Bank of England just creating the reserves to cover the difference in square accounts? Or what's to stop the Bank of England just going, okay, well, uh, we are going to call all your debts now. Oh, well, they cause economic collapse. Yeah, but so would the alternative. No, no, it's, it's complete bullshit. And it, again, it's just, it's getting away from the fact that ultimately the Bank of England is buying government gilts, which is stupid, but let's roll with it. Um, and it's financing this by, by borrowing from commercial banks. Ultimately, the Bank of England is owned as a political entity by the government. They can do what they want with it. In practice, they try and, you know, ferry it out and say, oh, we'll have independent managers doing it because rich people like that because they like the idea that it's not subject to political oversight, right? That's what it's really is. It really has been since the 70s, the Bank of England, they've, you know, back in the day, you never used to know who ran the Bank of England. The governor of the Bank of England was not a political figure anyone cared about. And Mark Blythe has talked about this, Seb, you'll know. Um, but then after the 80s, suddenly everyone cares. And it's because the government started farming out the political practice of deciding how the Bank of England would operate um, to these third-party technocrats, essentially, to run on behalf of the rich. There's nothing stopping the government from basically turning around and instructing the Bank of England to do what they want. They'd have to like appoint the right figures, but they can do it. And as part of that, they could basically just take all the debts back in-house, put them on a national balance sheet and go, fuck it, who cares? Uh, no, this is... This is this is a this is a fallacy of composition of scale where he's intentionally excluding things that basically say, um, oh, this is actually a more complicated picture than it looks. And this apocalyptic scenario you're painting out can't come to pass because it requires all these commercial banks to basically turn around to a lender of last resort, the, the creditor of last resort, and go, uh, we're going to make you bankrupt, which would then ripple right through them and Make end up with them falling over. Yeah, no, it, it can't happen. It can't happen. What the solution this is a this is a fucking amazing knot which can just be cleaved straight through with a sword of going, it's a political issue. <laughs> like, because that's what it fundamentally is. And all of this obfuscation is avoiding that. If you just turn change the political terms of a settlement, if you just suddenly go, you know what, maybe creditors um, maybe they can just like soak it up for once. Maybe they, maybe they for once should actually just have to take a haircut. Suddenly all of this becomes less of a problem. And even then it doesn't have to, you know. He's talking about these interest rate rises as though they're not ultimately manageable, as though it's not like... He, he basically is refusing to look at how the things look back around on themselves to say, actually, you can't do that. Or if you did do that, then you need an extra an extra financial political solution. I'm sorry, it's, it's total bollocks from start to finish. And the problem is, right, if you, the listener, are confused by this, and I've not done a very good job of explaining because I'm so annoyed by it, 
that's the point. This is bamboozling bullshit to make you think that there's not a political solution to this, to make you think that these inexorable laws of economics bind the hands of governments so they can't come to solutions on this. And yet, if you were to ask John McDonnell how he'd handle this situation, I'm pretty sure after, like, you know, you know, swearing you to a murder, um, he or a chancellor like him would basically say, we can just print the money and instruct the Bank of England to tell the creditors to go fuck themselves and deal with it. Like, the, the, these are solvable problems. Um, they just take political will and they take you being prepared to piss off some wealthy people. Uh, the Jamie solution. Yeah, basically. And yeah. The, the, the annoying thing about this is that um, all of this is on an if, because he's saying if rates rise at 1%, they might well not. They might well fucking not, frankly. It yeah. they could. They could, I'll admit that. And if it does happen, then, oh, well, if they rise 1%, I guess we'll have to, like, pull out our big axe of class warfare and, like, start chopping away at the rich to fix this. Um, there's also, I mean, like, let's stop a second. Uh, everything I've just said is very complicated, but I want to ask you another question. Um, governments can get incomes by two methods. One of them is borrowing. What's the other way? Anyone care? Anyone in the class care to shout out? Is it taxation? It's taxation, yes. So there's another fucking solution to getting around <laughs> this. How about you tax the rich that you bailed out previously? How about you just do that? That's a novel thought. Tax them to pay back the money you owe them. No, I'm sorry. This is all eminently solvable, and this guy is talking bollocks. Austerity is a political choice that is framed to sound like it's the inexorable laws of economics, which, again, as I hope I've proven, are all fucking made up. I'm pretty sure that if you tax the rich, they just throw all the tea in the sea. Something and like that, yeah. this is the UK, and we can't have that. Shall we round that off with a wee palate cleanser, if you can call it that, of comment or commentary? You cannot yes. call it that. <laughs> I haven't played it in ages. This is going to be awful, but in a good way. I never bought into Saint Obama, but he's telling the gospel truth when he says AOC and her progressive pals will get nowhere with police-hating rhetoric that just makes America even more divided. Comment or commentariat? Commentariat. Mm. Comment. Commentariat UK Press. It's not American. Okay, vague, but all right. Jamie? Commentariat. It was commentariat, and again, that was, ah. a, that was a full headline yeah. in the Daily Mail. By Piers Morgan. Yeah. Really? Jesus. Uh, I would have put money on... I knew it was some right-wing raccoonery asshole. I would have put money on um, Brendan O'Neill. Yeah. This, uh, the St. Obama bit there. Aye, maybe. But no, it was it was full on... Um, well, that was it. Deals. That's what made me think that's much more of a comment thing than anyone who <clears throat> would be a serious journalist. Um, it which was Piers Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was more of the... Dis- well, we're discussing Obama, so I'm going to shove the word gospel in there. Mm, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I see where you're going with that one. Whatever the eventual outcome of negotiations, we can do absolutely nothing about it. Sulking and wishing UK, sorry, sulking and wishing the UK to suffer is pointless and tiresome now that the end game approaches. It's better to accept, even begrudgingly, that the only way forward is for everyone to get behind the UK if we are to prosper. So let's resist continuance of the spite, vitriol, and personal character evisceration, and be positive. Comment or commentariat? Uh, I think that's comment. I'm also going to say comment, and I'm thinking Guardian. This feels very lib to me. 
I, a lot of that was, yeah, sort of like, it couldn't have been like from an FBP kind of a columnist, but that the general kind of, no, we must now be positive together does still make me think commentariat. Uh, I'll say comment. It was a comment. It was a comment from the oh, BBC God's News sake. website. <laughs> still yeah. libs. I stand by it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Labour will not be united, neither will they be able to move on until the proven and self-defeating Corbynism within the party and its voters is finally surpassed and leaves room for a more progressive centre-left. Labour are divided and the only way to move on is to pick the winning side or risk having 10 more years of Tory England or a UK if it survives. Comment or commentariat? I think that's Robert Peston. That's <laughs> commentariat. Yeah, I'm going to say commentary. Yeah, commentary, why not? Again, you have all unfortunately been duped by the want-to-be commentary below the line in The Guardian. (laughs) (laughs) Preceding Um, that paragraph are the words, judging by the many comments below the line berating Peter Mandelson for being anti-Corbyn, I can safely say that. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. What we see is a new generation of people who do not know how to think, act or behave. In some cases, they genuinely haven't grown out of the stage of development where it is appropriate to cry if you do not get your way. The answer to all this remains the same, which is that the adults must reassert themselves. Comment or commentariat? Uh, commentariat, either conservative at home or the telegraph. Commentariat, Lawrence Fox. Does, does Lawrence Fox count as commentariat? I mean, he gets all those spots on question time and whatnot, so why not? I, I'm going to say commentary. Yeah, I'm going to have to fall in with everyone else as well here. Just desperate for a point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm sure any minute now we'll get to all the ones from balloonshagger.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was commentary. That was Douglas Murray and Unheld. The title of the article was Jordan Peterson sorry, Jordan Peterson v. the crybullies <laughs> David <laughs> I should point David, out did that we- he also wrote an article uh, uh, he also wrote an article titled The World Needs Jordan Peterson More Than Ever David. <laughs> Someone's got shares in raw beef haven't they <laughs> <laughs> David, did, did Rob help you put together this comment on Karen Tarria? No, he didn't. No, I found that one by absolute chance and just had to include it. <laughs> okay, cool. Just, I'm, I'm just adding him to my list. Give me a sec. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's it. Um, I got a point. Yes. Well done. Congratulations. Yeah, so pleased. <laughs> Unlike Jordan fucking Peterson. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so that's it from us for this week. Any plugs to do? Anyone get any plugs? Yeah, we got Rob's thing. Yes, Rob. Um, probably next week, maybe at some point. Just keep an eye out on the 10K Posts pod hosted by Hussein Kisvani. Have a little peep at that. That's on some cyber sex thing as well. So obviously Seb will be right there with that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've T-shirts. got a plug. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm starting a band. It's, it's called Kissinger Death Clock, and the only song we do is Iron Maiden's Two Minutes to Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for all we know, he could have died during this recording. Oh, chance would oh. be a fine thing. Wouldn't it, John? 
Yeah. Uh, t-shirts, we still have t-shirts on sale. If you would like a t-shirt, it is at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash praxiscast. There's a link in the description as well. And we will see you again next week. Yeah. Farewell. Lovely being back and goodbye. Cheerio. Seb's just going to float off over the horizon. <laughs> <laughs>